You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Well, last week as we talked about Ruth, we if you remember the story of Ruth, that Ruth um, and her family, actually Naomi and her husband and their two sons and, uh, and their two wives were living in the land of Moab, and, uh, and all the men died and passed away. And we ended kind of the story with, with Naomi going back to Israel, back to her homeland and, and returning, and, and, and Ruth just committing herself to God and to be with God and God's people to go with her. And just a, a crazy thing for a woman just to leave her father and mother and, and the homeland land and all that she'd ever known to, to go to a place that she had not known after, uh, uh, after experiencing the loss of her own husband, father-in-law, all of those things. And so uh, we, we left the story with Naomi and Ruth as they enter into Bethlehem. And we've got three more chapters to unpack. We're going to be here just honestly another couple more weeks. It's a short book, but just some profound truths in there. But this morning, I want us to see that... Um, that we have an amazing God that we should have faith in whom we should have faith because he gives us, he's an invisible God, but he graciously gives us an amazing care. And because of that, we should trust him, that we should trust him in every area of our life. So turn with me, if you would, to Ruth chapter 2. Uh, Ruth chapter 2, it's maybe the eighth book I think we figured out last week in the in Old Testament. So go way back to the beginning and just keep going to the right until you run into it. Or you can take the easy way out, which is just it'll be on the screen. So uh, read with me in, in chapter 2. The Bible says this, and we're going to read most of the, the chapter this morning to kind of get the story, and then I'm going to unpack it. The Bible says this, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. You know, as you, you may or may not remember, when, when Naomi and Ruth were coming back to Bethlehem, they had heard that God had given favor again to his people, that the famine had passed, that the, the harvest season was coming in, it was the barley season, and so she said, let's go back. And so Ruth wakes up one day and, and says, Mom, can I go out and glean in the fields and hopefully, you know, find some leftovers? Uh, kind of one, a couple steps, tr truth be known, above dumpster diving. A couple steps above just like going looking for bottles on the side of the road. Like, we got to eat. We got to figure this out somehow. Can we go and, can I go and glean in the fields? Now look what the Bible says in verse 3. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And Boaz, that was Naomi's husband, Ruth's father-in-law. So coincidental connection here. And Bo behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. It's kind of a standard greeting of that of, of, of among God's people there of that time. Then Boaz in verse 5 said to his young man who is in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? As Boaz looked out across the field, he had hired and had a number of servants that were working and reaping in the harvest, but he noticed, who's this lady? I don't remember her. Who's is she? And so he asks his manager. And his servant in verse 6 who was in charge of the reapers answered, she's a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. 
She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. This manager was impressed. Ruth, according to Old Testament law and Deuteronomy and, and Leviticus, it was Ruth's right to be able to go and glean in the field after the harvest. In, this, in essence, once the professional harvesters had gathered all that they could, then it was legal for anybody else to come along afterwards. You know, the pickings would be pretty slim, quite honestly. Their job was to get everything that they could, uh, in, in theory. And so Ruth asked for permission. And respectfully, and this manager was impressed. She had worked all day and said, she's just, she's a go-getter. She's worked at it and barely taken just a little rest. In verse 8, the Bible says this, Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but you keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that, I should take, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? Ruth knew she was a woman at risk from another land and not liked. It was a land of oppressors. When you read the book of Judges, the Moabites are the ones oppressing Israel. And if you remember the kind of the graphic story, King Eglon, he was the one that had the dagger stuck in. The Bible says that, you know, the dagger went in one side, went out the backside, and the entrail. It's pretty, the Bible's just so graphic and real. Anyway, TV thinks it invented all of that, but it didn't. So that was the country. That was Ruth's people. So she's like, she says, I'm a foreigner. She wasn't expecting to be treated so well, and she's shocked at the favor that he's giving her. But notice what Boaz is impressed with. She sees herself as a foreigner, not deserving of anything, but look what Boaz says in verse 11. Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother, they're still likely alive, you left your father and mother and your native land, that world that you had known, that culture, everything you'd known, where you'd gone to school, where you grew up, the stores you went to, the way of life that you're used to, the festivals and the holidays and all of that. You've, 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 you've gone. You've left. And you came to a people that you did not know before. And verse 12, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz says, lady, you've come to trust in the God of heaven to take care of you. And I pray that God give you a full reward, blessing out of all that you've done and been to Naomi that you didn't have to. Then here's what Ruth says in verse 13. She said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. See, Ruth knew what it was like to have the glaring looks from others, to have the whispers, to have the, the derogatory comments. And yet, when she talked with Boaz, he was gracious, comforter, kind, respectful. And at verse 14, and at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. 
and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. And when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley, which I don't know, I can't even keep cups and quarts and pints and all of that stuff straight. I, I, Old Testament, like, what in the world is an ephah? So bottom line, when she was done gathering the grain, it was probably about 30 or 40 pounds of barley seed, enough to feed them for probably the two of them a good six or seven weeks. 30 or 40 pounds that she managed to glean. You think she did a little bending over and picking that day? I think so. So in verse 18, and she took it up and went into the city. Hoisted it up, I guess, on her, her shoulder and carried it into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. When you don't have anything, you're thrifty. Her even leftover sandwich she brought home to give to her mother-in-law. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? And blessed be the man who took notice of you. And then Ruth goes and unpacks for her how she had gleaned in the field of Boaz. And Naomi let her know, this is, um, this is amazing because he's our very close relative who's responsible to help take care of us. What an amazing story of the gracious God invisibly taking care of his children, taking care of us. And what an amazing story of the faithfulness and the obedience of Ruth. I want to pack that just for you for a few minutes. First thing I want us to know is that it really takes our faith first in the invisible God before we receive the amazing care, the gracious care of our God. It starts with faith in Him. You see, God doesn't say, hey, I'll give all of this to you. Now you just believe me. Trust me. He somewhat does when it comes to our salvation from sin, right? He says, yeah, you're a wicked sinner, you're bad, you're a mess, you're, you're spiritually dead, but I will save you and I will take care of you if you trust me. But God doesn't just tangibly kind of back the dump truck up and just, you know, just give us this. You know, all of this are like, hey, don't you want to trust me now? He doesn't bribe us. He doesn't, it doesn't work that way. In fact, most often it seems to me in the Bible, in my own life, God says, are you going to trust me or not? Situation's bleak, Sean. In fact, he makes sure he points out how bleak it is. Like, Sean, you notice that? Yeah, I do notice that, God. Sean, you see that? Oh, yeah, that's bad too. And he wants to make sure that when the provision finally comes along, that I know full well it's not me and it's not somebody else, that it's none other than the God in heaven who provides. But what he expects is for you and for me to trust him, to have faith in him. And that's what we see Ruth doing. She just trusted God in the process. Now, here's the thing. When you and I have faith and trust in God that he's going to take care of us, that he's going to provide, that he's going to meet our needs, as we talked last week, and as I even shared my own personal story, that God in 40 years has never once let me down. 40 years that I have, have trusted Christ and walked with him. And there's been times I didn't understand what he was doing. There's times I still look back and don't fully understand what he's doing. But God has never once 
let me down. In fact, any follower of Jesus, if they're looking back with honesty in their life and reflecting, God never lets any of us down at any time. There's times it looks like we're on thin ice. There's times it looks like he's going to fail, but he never does. Instead, he says, will you trust me? Now, here's the thing about faith. We make the decision to trust God, but God is the one who decides exactly how he's going to do it. So you and I get in trouble with faith when we say, God, I'm going to trust you, but here's what I want. <laughs> God, I'm going to trust you, but I'm, this, is, this is the way I want this to go down. God, I, I trust you, but this is exactly what I want to have happen. That's not faith. You see, we don't get to choose the way God provides for us. We don't get to choose the way God takes care of us. We don't get to choose the exact outcome, the answers of our prayers. Our choice is very simple and clear, and it's humbling for us. And we, if we're being really honest, don't always like it, but we need to be there, is that, God, I'm going to trust you. And I don't know how you're going to work this out. I don't know what the end result's going to be. I don't know the way this is going to play out, but I trust you. Now, in, in the book of Leviticus, the, when God, remember all those laws? We've talked about that on Thursday nights recently, and just all the laws that are tough, like what in the world? And like my clothing can't be mixed and all these rules and regs. It's just crazy. One of those rules buried in the middle of that, God told the, the farmers, those that own land and crops, he said, when you glean your fields, don't glean everything right up to the edge. In other words, don't, don't like pull out your vacuum cleaner and just suck up every seed that's out there. Leave the edge of your field some seed there because that belongs to the poor people. That belongs to people that are going to be allowed to come into your field who need to eat, that don't have land, and they can go work for a living. I love God's plan of providing for the poor. Not a handout, it's more of a hand up. Say they can, they can work to go and work, and they can glean that. In fact, the law went on to say, if you've gleaned that field and you've left that field, and you look back like, hey, there's a section we missed, you're not allowed to go back and clean it up. You have to stay out of it. That belongs to people. In fact, if Boaz, is, if his reapers left the field, and for some reason they just got hot and tired that day and forgot a sheaf, a big clump of, you know, in the, in the field of the the, the the, the, the barley plants that had the barley still on it, all nice and bundled and tied up, they weren't allowed to go back and retrieve it because that was God's plan to allow the others to come along and, and harvest it. So here's the deal. God said, that's my provision to take care of people. Ruth stepped out in faith by obeying God's word and trusting that there would be something there for them. She wasn't you know, uh, going through the streets, as it were, you know, begging. I mentioned it's a couple of steps above dumpster diving, whatever it, it was. I mean, this is not a proud work, if you will, but it was the way God had designed to provide for his people. And so she took God at his word and acted upon it and believed. Believed Faith in action, if you see, if you will. See, that's what faith really is. Faith is not a passive thing where you and I just sit back and say, well, I guess I'm going to believe. Faith is actually us taking action based upon God's word. She believed what was appropriate of that day and what the God of heaven had set aside, and she acted upon that. That's what real faith is. Faith is not just you and I just believing out of thin air something will happen. 
oftentimes that's just naive and stupidity and ignorance. Faith is not that. Faith says, God, I see what you have said, and because of what you said, I'm going to obey and I'm going to do. Faith aligns our life and our actions and within the will of God, within God's worth. It's not a passive sitting back, just thinking everything's going to work out, I guess, one day. It's a making sure that our life is in alignment and we are actively pursuing God's plan and what God has for us in life. Make no mistake, Ruth demonstrated amazing faith in her life. We saw last week how Naomi became bitter. Bitterness tends to paralyze us. Bitterness tends to fixate and focus, and it freezes us. It, it, we don't, we're not motivated to do much anything because we can't get what we want, and we can't solve this situation, so we don't do anything. Ruth wasn't bitter. In fact, she was trusting God deeply, as, as Boaz pointed out, that, you know, you have come under the wings like a, a, a chicken, a, a hen chicken that the chicks all gather around for warmth or safety or security in, in life. And, and Boaz says, I know you've come here. Not because you just thought this was the best way to take care of yourself, not because it was convenient, not because you heard the weather was nice, not because you thought we had nice beaches on this side of the Dead Sea, you know, the Sea of Galilee, or the fishing was good, but you came to trust in the God of heaven and to bring yourself under his wings and under his, under his protection. And so because of that, Ruth just stepped out amazingly and just simply trusted God, not bitter, but said, I'm going to trust that God's going to provide. See, faith really ultimately leads us to obedience and to actually working. This, this lady was amazing, guys. I, I got to tell you, she would work most of us here to shame. I mean, fields were not right in town. I don't know how far she walked from home to the field, and get the picture. She walked, she gathered enough bundles of grain all day long to gather 30, 40 pounds of barley seed. I've never farmed barley. I don't even think I could identify what a barley plant looks like, to be honest with you, and I'm betting probably most of you couldn't either. But, uh, but that's a lot of grain. And at the end of the day, she gathered all those sheaves, and if the grain itself weighed 30 or 40 pounds, the sheaves and all that she gathered had to have been, what, 80, 100 pounds? I mean, all of the stuff that had been beaten out. And, and, and if, if you know the, the harvest of the time, you gather all that grain up, you go to the top of the hill where the wind is, and you beat it, and the grain is heavier than the, the covering, you know, the little sheath that the, the, the seeds are in, and so you beat it and throw it in the air, and the wind blows, the light breeze blows that stuff away, and you keep the grain. So this lady was moving some serious weight, and she did that after supper, <laughs> carried that stuff up the hill, 80 pounds or whatever, to the top of the hill. And then when she's done 30 or 40 pounds, she goes home to mama. I, I don't know about you, but I would have quit like 4 or 5 o'clock. I'd be like, my day's done. And if my day's not done, I'm done. I can't do any more. You see, her faith, even though she trusted God to take care of her, that trusting God led her to work hard. It wasn't working hard in spite of God, in case God doesn't come through. It was working hard because God was coming through and providing for her. Make sure 
that whether you are facing dire circumstances or not, but as you work and as you live out your life, that you're not working in such a way, well, I got to make sure I'm taken care of because, you know, I don't, I don't know if this is going to all be okay or whatever. No, you're going to be okay. But you're going to be okay because God said you're going to be okay. And because God says you're going to be okay, you should work hard. You ought to have a work ethic. You ought to do it, not out of just trying to accumulate for yourself all that you can get in this world. That's not making God your God. That's making money your God. But your work should reflect a faith in God in heaven. It starts with faith first, always. Ruth had no, no idea how God would provide for her, but he just trusted. She just trusted and she followed through with what made sense, what was in front of her, and said, can I go into the fields? I don't know. I don't know this area. I don't know where do I go, but I'm just going to trust God and follow those people, and God provided for her. Second thing I want you to notice, it's our faith first in an invisible God. God is all on this picture, even though he's only referred to once, that, that Boaz says, I recognize that you've come and trusted this God trusted our God to take care of you. You see, God, God's invisible. And what, but what you and I, we live in the, the visible world. We live in the world that's here and now where we taste and see and, and touch. And because God's invisible, it can make faith at times a bit difficult, right? How do you, I mean, let's be honest. Don't we as people have time, at times difficulty believing things that are real right in front of us? <laughs> I saw a video recently where a guy walked around giving people, I think he had like a stack of 10 chocolate bars. I don't remember, like a silver coin or something. It was a legit silver coin worth whatever coins go for. I don't know, 50, 100 bucks, a couple hundred bucks. And you may have seen it too. I don't know. I presume it was, was real. Sure seemed like it. But he went and asked these people on the street, hey, you can have a chocolate bar or you can have this silver coin. And you know what? He asked 10 people or whatever, and all 10 of them took the chocolate bar, not the coin. And he was legitimately going to give it to them. They didn't, whatever reason, didn't trust, didn't whatever. And, was like, and I was like, I'm just shocked at this. There was just some social experiment thing there. We struggle to trust things that are visible even in front of us as people because we're by nature cynical, skeptical, doubtful, and all of that. And because God's an invisible God, at times he can be difficult to believe in. But here's the thing. Even though God is invisible, he is working in the visible world. He's working in the world around us when we're not even fully realizing it. You see, Ruth just happened to land in a field that was Boaz's field. Now, even though the law said that the, the poor should be able to come and work and glean after the, the harvesters, let's be honest. Just because the Bible tells people they should do something, does that mean everybody automatically obeys? Does that mean everybody automatically obeys with a nice smile on their face and like, come right on in? You know, good and well, there are a bunch of people, if not the majority of people, are like, oh, if I've got to, I guess you can. But, you know, keep away and probably would have gone to the gleaners. Make sure you clean up really well. You know, don't, don't leave anything left over and harassing people. The law says I got to let you do it, but it doesn't say I have to be nice about it. <laughs> You know, and here she is just landing in a field that happened to be a family that was very close to her, uh, her uh, deceased husband's family. And by law, 
because family matters and the way that all worked, that family was responsible to kind of take care of their next in line, kind of their cousins, if you will. And she happens to land into a field of a man, the Bible said, who was honorable, who was noble, kind of a, a well-respected man for his life. Not so much that he was wealthy, although presumably he had substance and means, but a man that was honoring God in his life. And she landed with someone, just happened to be following those, just looked out, see people like they're picking up stuff. Oh, there's a looks, I think I can gather enough food there. And we see the hand of God invisibly working in her visible world. Folks, there's times in our life where we look around and we're just not sure what God's up to. And what we know is we're struggling. And we're struggling whether it's putting food on the table, struggling to feel whole and within ourselves put together, struggling to know what decisions we should make and the big things of life. And we struggle with just so many different things. We by humans by nature are needy little creatures. We just, we are. It's just part of life. But when you and I are like that, we need to be careful that we somehow don't miss the invisible God who's overseeing all of that visible stuff around us and that we somehow are just walking by sight with what we see and not by faith, which we don't see. And we're all going to struggle with that, me included. When the things hit, and, and to be honest with you, God does it. He allows these things in our life to push us, to teach us even more that he's dependable, that he's trustworthy. It's not just to, to, to hit us over the head, you don't trust enough. It's actually to show us where we're doubting him and our faith's a little weak and he's trying to strengthen our faith and he allows all these things to come into our life. But we, we're to trust an invisible God who's working in every sphere of our life. When we're at work, in our government, when we go to school, in our neighborhood, there's not, an area, any, there's not an area in your life, in any area of your life, where the God of heaven is not working and superintending and ruling and organizing for his glory and ultimately for your good. Now, when you and I struggle with faith, we need to realize that what we're doing is we're doubting a particular aspect of God. We're doubting God's character at the end of the day. When you and I aren't so sure things are going to work out for our good, what we're doing is this. is like, well, God, you may be a great and powerful God, but I don't know if you care enough about me. Or we may be doubting that God's wise enough. God, I just I don't understand why you would do this. It makes no sense. I can't stand this. I just lie, God. And we get all wrapped up. And we're doubting God's character. We're actually saying, God, you really aren't that smart. You're not that wise. We're doubting God's power. God, I don't think you can do anything about this one. This one's beyond you, God. I know you're a powerful God. I know it. But this one's probably beyond you. We're doubting God's presence. The Bible says that he's present everywhere. God, I, I, you're just not around here. Like, I see you in work in other people's lives, and I know you're powerful and good there, but I don't see you work here. You see, whenever you and I struggle to have faith, make no mistake, we're doubting the very character and nature of God in heaven. Now, God's a gracious God. When we have a relationship with him by faith through Jesus Christ and he saves us from that, our sins, we're forgiven. We're forgiven of all of that junk. But 
in the process, God still looks at us as like, why don't you trust me? Like, I'm dependable. You know, when people don't trust you, do you like the way that feels? I don't. Do you? I don't care whether it's family or anybody, but when people doubt or whatever, you know, I'm just like, wow, who do they think I am? It's offensive. So God forgives us, but he's expecting us to trust him. So when you're struggling with faith, this will help you get to that point of faith. Say, God, what part of your character right now am I struggling to see? What part of your life right now am I not seeing that I need to see? God, help me to realize that. And it can be different things. You might be doubting that God just genuinely loves you in that moment or in that way. You might genuinely be doubting that God is powerful enough, that God's present enough, that God's going to be truthful enough to do what he says in the Bible that he's going to do. But in the process of that, work through and ask God to show you because the whole faith thing that's in front of you when you're doubting it is God is trying to grow you and help pinpoint that. And when God shows you that, then what your next step is, is God, forgive me. And thank you that you are so awesome there and help me to trust you in that. See, when you and I fall into fret and worry and fear and doubt and despair and angst and anxiety and all of that in the extreme levels, at the heart of so much of that, not all of it, but much of it, if not most of it, is that we have gotten our eyes off the visible God who's at work in the world around us, and we're doubting him and his character. So the way to, one of the ways to work through those things is to say, God, I'm going to trust you. God, I'm going to take that step forward, just like Ruth did. I don't know what field I'm going into. I don't know if I'm going to get harassed or not. She was a single woman, vulnerable, in a land that was not her own, not going to be looked at well, respected well, highly at risk. Food insecure, she was beyond food insecure. She was in abject poverty, crushing poverty. Naomi had left home, had been gone home for over a decade. What would happen, what would your house look like when you came back if nobody had lived in it for 10 years? <laughs> Let's just turn the heat on and see if it works. Probably no furniture. I mean, these folks had sold everything they had to make their way in this world, just crushing poverty. And she just took the next step of trusting God in heaven. If you don't have Ruth on your short list of heroes in your life, those that you are inspired by, she ought to be on your short list, men and women alike. Truthfully, there's only room for one hero in your life. His name is Jesus. But for terms of people that inspire you, that just challenge you and encourage you, Ruth ought to be on that list because she stepped out with faith first in an invisible God who then gave amazing care in her life. And let me finish up. This will be the last thing we'll talk about. As Ruth then stepped out in that faith, I want to notice the ways that God provided for her. I mean, I can imagine the first day, like she didn't have a good meal to take care of, lunch. The reason Boaz gave her lunch, because he looked around like the lady's not carrying anything. Poor girl's got nothing to eat. I, did you see a big sports bottle? She got enough water today? I didn't see her carrying anything. Hey, here's some water. Anytime you're thirsty, come to the guys. They'll take care of that water for you. Nothing in the Old Testament law required that. He, Boaz even said, hey, don't go, don't stay far away from my reapers. You stay close. Common sense would have said, stay out of their way because they might be going back and forth. 
you know, let them work 200 yards ahead and you clean up. He said, no, you stay right on their heels, young lady. You stay right with them. In fact, he goes to the other guys, and Ruth didn't know this, but hey, make sure you even pull some of this out. Like, leave it for her. It's made her life easier, providing for her. He didn't just throw her, you know, oh, here's a check, hand her a handout. He, she worked, worked for it, but he made it easy for her. I want you to notice the care of what God does. When he comes to her, she's out there working in the field, just like today, she could tell when Boaz pulled up in his truck, you know, like, oh, here's the boss. Here's the owner of the field. Nobody had to tell her that. She was working away from everybody else, but she could tell by the way everybody responded to him, the way he dressed, the way he talked, the way everything was going on. She knew the boss was here. And can you imagine as he comes up talking, walking to her, what she's wondering? You think she had a few butterflies in her stomach? You think she... Oh, is he going to be nice? Is he going to be mad? Is he going to be mean? And he comes up to her and he calls her daughter. First words out of his mouth, daughter. And talks to her kindly and says, I know that you see yourself as a foreigner, but I know how faithful you have been to your mother-in-law. And I know how you've chosen God to take care of you. And because of that, I'm going to take care of you. You see, Boaz knew that he was the visible hands of an invisible God. There's a whole other sermon in there. Sometimes you and I need to be the visible hands of an invisible God, helping the people around us. But God so graciously, through Boaz, tangibly in her life, gave her respect, gave her acceptance. Hey, it's lunchtime. You too. Come on in. In fact, he himself passed her the food signaling to everybody, you respect this lady. Don't look down at her. Don't treat her harshly. You, res you respect her and gave her. You want some more? Take some more here. And gave her all that she would want to drink, all she could eat, told her to come and, and just work close by and said, look, you don't have any fear at all. I've told my young men, hands off, not to harass you, not to bother you but to, to leave you alone and, guys, let her just do her thing. Let her provide. See, isn't that the way that God cares for us? That when we trust Him, even though we might go through difficulties and all kinds of stuff and doubts and worries and maybe ill treatment from others, because you know she got that, folks. We don't like to see that side of it, but she got it. And then God comes along and shows all the acceptance and care and respect in our life. You think that was meaningful to her? She told Boaz, she says, you have talked so kindly and comforting to me. You know why it spoke out to her? Because she hadn't been receiving kindness and comfort. He's like, you're treating me differently. And in the process, God protected her, brought her the protection that she needed, and brought her, Naomi, the food that they needed. And one, one day's work, she managed to secure almost probably two months' worth of food. And the harvest season, we read the rest of the story, lasted about seven weeks, barley and wheat, and so they lived fine that year. And of course, with Boaz and through all that God had done through him, God graciously provided. Folks, when you and I trust God, even in the bleakest and dire circumstances, God always gives us what we need. Always. 
whether it's physical, the protection and the provision in our life, whether it's the emotional, the security and acceptance, and all of that along the way, God just, as a mother hen, wraps his wings around us and says, I'll take care of you when we cast ourselves onto him. It breaks my heart when I see so many people in the world around us trying to turn to all kinds of things for hope and for future. And they, not only do they not help them, they bring and invite more into their lives. So many young women are doing that. So many people are turning to different things, looking for an escape, looking for an outlet, looking for meaning and hope. Folks, as God's people, we first should turn to God to trust Him and His care for us. And we ought to be those around that say to others, hey, you might want to try God. Like real, not religion, <laughs> not denomination, not church, but God. And help them to understand and to discover what all God can do for them in their life when they trust Him, just like Ruth did. So this morning, as I wrap this up, I don't know exactly what you need to do and what God's trying to speak into your heart. Encouragement, challenge, conviction. Maybe you're going through some of those things right now like Ruth did. Trust God. Do what makes sense and work hard and trust that God is going to provide for you along the way. Maybe you've got somebody else that needs to hear these things and this is a reminder and you can go share that with somebody else. Maybe you have, looking back, realized like, uh-oh, yeah, I did come through this time and it all worked out. God took care of me, but boy, I doubted God and shouldn't have so much. Maybe you need to kind of do some reflection on something you've come through. Maybe you've tried to put your authority or control over God. God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to be a good Christian, but you do this. Do it this way. Do it that way. You better do it this way. Maybe God's showing you that Faith just has empty hands and chooses to trust God and let God worry about all those details. I don't know how God has spoken in your heart this morning, but I think He's spoken through His Word. And so I'm going to ask you to just take a moment before you leave this place to just respond to what He's been saying in your heart, to just to trust Him, to trust Him completely, absolutely, that faith starts when we <clears throat> first realize that we need Jesus Christ, that our only hope of salvation is Him. And we turn to Him, fully trusting Him by faith. And He comes into our life and He saves us and He changes us. But then every <clears throat> day of the rest of our lives, God wants us to live in faith and to grow in that faith. And so I pray that today that God has helped you to kind of take another step in that world. So I'm going to close us in prayer. And whatever you feel like God is nudging in your heart, whatever kind of got your attention this morning, whatever spoke to you, I'm sure it wasn't the whole thing, but something in here, every one of us ought to pay attention to. Let me close us in prayer. Father, thank you so much for loving us and for saving us. Father, thank you for the powerful story of Ruth and for the demonstration of faith, somebody that was not of your people, 
Lord, she stands in such stark contrast to, to Naomi and, and others there. But Lord, she just in simplicity trusted you, worked hard, unbelievably hard. But Father, you blessed her so much and made a way for her in her life. You made space for her in that community. And as we're going to see next week and the week after, you, you made a way in her future with her family. Father, thank you that you are the amazing God who cares. And that even though we live in this visible, physical world, that we can and should trust you, the invisible God. Father, we love you. I pray, Lord, these truths would resonate and ring in our hearts and soul today and this week. Pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, guys, God bless you. I hope you have a great week. Read the book of Ruth at home. Allow God to bring some of these things back to your mind to grow you and grow us in faith. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.